0: Turn to Romans chapter eight, Romans eight. There are, excuse me, there are certain passages in scripture that are very popular because of their message. Everyone seems to know those verses. If you watch sporting events, you'll see a signs that say, you know, John 316. Everybody knows John 316. Or uh, for sure, especially in our culture today, people know, judge not that you be not judged. And there's all kinds of verses people know. And often these verses can inadvertently turn into empty platitudes, statements without meaning. Romans 8.28 is one of those verses. Whenever someone is facing difficulty, they have a fellow believer to remind them, all things work together for good. If we're honest, this can often seem unhelpful. But as we turn today to our enduring promise from God. And as we look at this promise in its context, I believe that we can turn this verse into one of the most glorious passages in all of scripture. Over the past two weeks, we have looked at verses 18 through 27. We've looked at two of the three blessings from God that grant us strength in the midst of trial and give us an eternal focus in the middle of our struggle. We have a glorious future and we have a divine comforter. Today we want to turn to the third of those glorious truths. So let's read together beginning in verse 18 and we'll read all the way through verse 30 as we look at these three glorious truths. Paul writes, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So in this text, we have looked at the first two glorious truths that help us maintain an eternal mindset, eternal perspective in trial that gives us strength, not just to survive, but to thrive in the middle of our struggle. The first glorious truth that helps us is found in verses 18 through 25, that we have a glorious Future. This is not all there is. Something better is coming. Paul reveals those true proofs of that reality under which we can hang. First, it's seen in creation. Creation itself reveals that there's something more to this life. That as we look at the world around us, we begin to understand what is happening. Creation reminds us that we have a glorious future awaiting us. But not just creation, it's seen in our own lives. As, As we honestly examine our lives as children of God, we discover that they serve as a proof that a glorious eternal future is coming. Secondly, we see a second glorious truth. That helps us maintain an eternal perspective found in verses 26 and 27. We looked at these last week. We have a divine comforter. God did not leave us on our own to have to try our best to make it through life. But rather God himself dwells in us. The third person of the Trinity. And this spirit speaks on our behalf. As we go to God with groanings that, that we can't even verbalize, we don't even know what to say, the Spirit intercedes for us. He tells God exactly what we need, exactly what we are feeling and works on our behalf. But he also does it feeling our burdens. It says with groanings too deep for words, God feels what you're facing. He doesn't just see it. In some abstract way, he doesn't just observe it like we do the news where we feel bad for people, but we don't know them. So it doesn't really impact us. God, through the spirit, feels deeply and intimately the struggles you face. And as if that were not enough. We have a final glorious truth that helps us maintain an eternal perspective in trials found here in verses 28 and 20 through 30. God has given to us an enduring promise. God has given you a promise that lasts for all eternity that is glorious, that when understood, can change your life forever." He says in verse 28. glorified. Today, as we look at this enduring promise, we want to look at it in three ways. First, I want to examine the statement of the promise. What exactly is this promise that God has made to you and to me? He says we know We can be confident of this fact. This is not an abstract knowledge. This is not something we hope maybe wish upon a star will happen. This is something we can know from experience is true and will remain true. What do we know? That all things work together for good. First, he tells us all things. Now, what's included in all things? All things. Everything good and bad and indifferent is included in all things. Now, we like to look at this and think that all things means the things we know are good, the things that make us feel good, the things that go according to plan, the things that we see as blessings in life. Those are the good things. But included in all things are the struggles of life, the trials, the difficulties, the challenges that you face. As you face physical difficulties, illness, surgery, challenges, those are included in all things. God did not forget. God did not overlook God did not lose control. Those things you face are part of God's sovereign, eternal plan for you. That can be a hard thing to realize. That can be a hard thing to face. Your physical struggles are intended by God for you. As you face financial challenges. Everything has gotten a lot more expensive. Whoever would have believed we would see gas at $5 a gallon. And you're beginning to have to figure out how you can make $2 plus $2 equal $205. And you're facing financial strain and struggle. You wonder, did God forget? Did did God lose control? Did God put the wrong people in charge? And we're reminded. God has sovereignly intended this for you. It's part of his sovereign plan for your life. As you face family struggles. I mean, there's no struggle like family struggle. And your family does that thing again. Puts you in that position Again, forced you to have to make that decision again. And you wonder. God. I think you might have put me in the wrong family. God didn't forget. God knows and sees and feels what you are facing. Because all things means all things. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that the struggle that you are facing in life is part of God's sovereign intended plan for you? Because your view of God will determine your view of life. All things are part of this promise. But he tells us that all things work together for good. So he's telling us not all things are good. He's not claiming that, that that thing you're facing is not awful. It is. We live in a sin-stained, sin-infected world. Where everything is impacted and infected by the curse. And that means that life is hard. God's not saying it's all good. But he says that he will orchestrate them all into something beautiful. Again, I think the best illustration of this that I have found is the illustration of a cake. Maybe you're a baker. I'm not. I've got a couple people in my family that are. And so this is when they do it. They go to bake a cake, perhaps. And you think about everything that goes into a cake. Taken individually. Aren't that great? Today, if we invited you over for lunch, said, Hey, we want you to join us for lunch. What are we having? We are having flour. You would think, I, There's something wrong with them. Flour is not delicious or wonderful or, frankly, even very edible. Or we said, We're having eggs. Oh, I love eggs. Oh, but we're not cooking them, they're raw. Now, I know there there are these people in bodybuilding and things like that that eat raw eggs because they say it helps them. They're weird. It's not good. How about a teaspoon of vanilla? You ever tried that? It'll light you up. About the only thing that goes into the ingredients that we might label as not bad are sugar and water, right? Water is good. I'm not a huge water fan, but it's good. And sugar. But even then, most of us have outgrown the stage where we want straight sugar. But when you take all of these things, not me, when you take all of these things, And put them together correctly. And mix them up together. And put them into heat. This is why I say you, not me. If it's done right, something delicious comes out. Something incredibly good. The reality is God is doing that as the master chef of your life. And often all we see is that individual ingredient getting put in the bowl. God, what are you doing? I don't, I don't like raw eggs. What? Why are you doing this to me, God? Flour is boring. God, that vanilla is no good. What are you doing? Oh, should I like sugar? That's good. Thanks, God. And we wonder what God's doing in our life as we struggle. With the things going on, but we need to understand that as that master chef, God is putting it all together and he is mixing it up and he is putting us in the heat. So that he might accomplish that, which is good. He says all things work together for good. Now we must take care, though, to define what is good. Because this is not necessarily referring to what we might think is good. Especially in our culture today. Today in our culture, as we think of good, we think of ease and prosperity and rest. And we think that is good. We are living our lives for the American dream of a great retirement where we just relax. That's good. And anything that gets in the way of that peace and relaxation is bad. But that's not what God defines as good. What exactly is good in God's eyes? I think as we look at scripture, we can identify it in two ways. First, as he says, all things work together for good. He is most concerned with his own glory to look as good as he really is. We think of first Corinthians 1031, where he tells us whether even down to your eating and drinking, the most mundane things in life you are to do to his glory. Revelation 4.11 tells us that God created all things for his pleasure. So God is working everything out in your life to make himself look as good as he really is. So that all creation might declare God is great. Secondly, though. God's good for us is our eternal good and growth. That we might be focused on the kingdom and grow and manifest the Christ likeness to which we have been redeemed. We see this with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is ministering for God. He has dedicated his life entirely to Christ after his conversion on the road to Damascus. And after years of serving the body of Christ, he begins to travel the world to plant churches and see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And God blesses his ministry and churches are planted and the gospel is expanding and things seem great. And then we are told in First Corinthians 12. So to keep me from being conceited, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Things are going fantastic for Paul and God concerned about his eternal good and growth in Christ gives him a thorn in the flesh. We think about that. Perhaps you've been doing gardening lately and you've been cut by thorns. It's no fun at all, especially when they stick in there. They just bother you and they just hurt, and they begin to fester. And God gave Paul this circumstance that was a thorn in his flesh, constantly there. I think intentionally, we're not told exactly what this thorn is. Some surmise it was a physical challenge that he faced, intense illness. Others surmise it was people. Some surmise it was persecution. Whatever it was, we're not told. And I think that's intentionally because each of us faced something different. And God gave it to him. And it was. A struggle. He says it was a messenger of Satan to harass him. The picture is of constant bombardment. And he asked God. Take it away, God. God, I don't like raw eggs. Get them out of the bowl. And God said. No. No, this Paul Is for your good. He says I'm doing it so that you will not be conceited. So that you will see yourself for who you are. And recognize that it's not about you. So that you will recognize my grace in your life. And my goodness to you. And so that you may see the power of Christ in your life. He says, I'm giving this for your good. Notice he wasn't saying it was good. Paul wanted it gone. He begged God to take it away. And God said, no, because it was for his good. It would grow him and for his eternal good. Dear one, you are facing intense struggle in your life. For your good. And if you're like me often the first thing you ask is God take it away. Please God make it go. It's natural. Psalmist did it Paul did it. But we need to recognize that sometimes God says no. Because he has something much better for us. He wants us to grow into Christ's likeness. And he wants to show. The surpassing goodness. And greatness of his glory. In our lives. We have to be reminded. That all these things. Everything you face in your life. Has been brought. Into your life for a purpose. That when mixed together. And put into the heat might accomplish something of surpassing value and glory. So Christian. Know that. Rest in that. Trust in that. As you are begging God to take it away, don't become bitter when he leaves it. Instead, seek what God is teaching you through it and how you might use it for his glory. Years ago, a pastor named John Piper was diagnosed with cancer. and He wrote a little booklet that I give to people as they're diagnosed that's incredibly helpful. It's free on the Internet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And in it, he uses this principle that God has given that bad thing to you as a gift for your good. So don't waste it that applies to each thing you face in your life. Don't waste it. Don't run from it. Embrace it and thrive in it as God is using it for your good and his glory. That's the statement, the incredible, glorious statement of God's promise. But we need to note that this is not a promise to everyone or for just everyone. It is a specific promise for a specific group of people. So let's look secondly at the recipients of this promise. He says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This promise Is for those who check the box in two ways. For those who love God. And those who are called according to his purpose. These are the elect. Those who have entered into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. They are marked by a love for God. This is not just a passing statement. Sure, I love God. And I love ice cream. This is an intense, personal, intimate relationship with God. We think of all the statements in First John about what love of God looks like. Keeping his commandments, keeping from evil, caring for others around us. This is people who truly are in a relationship with God and love him passionately. And are called according to his purpose. God has called them to his purpose and what is his purpose, his glory and our good. The advancement of the kingdom of God that in all things might be summed up and redeemed in Christ and made perfect when he returns. Those of us who will be with him for all eternity, this is for us. So when a believer comes to you and says, remember your God, it's not a platitude. It's a promise from God for you. This is yours. He's made it to you. And you can rest in it. That as you love God. It is not for, for no reason. You don't have to become weary. In doing what is right. So tired of it. Because in due season. You will reap if you don't faint. Eternity is coming. God's glory is awaiting. He's promised your good. So remember the gospel in the middle of your struggle. Remember what he has saved you from and saved you to, because that is your promise. How can we know this is true, though? I mean, the reality is life's hard and then you die. Every day is a new struggle, and they just seem to be getting harder. The world's not getting better. It's getting worse. So how can you be confident that this is indeed true? Maybe you're still in this stage where God is mixing the ingredients together. You haven't seen the good yet. You haven't seen what God's doing. How can you be confident that this is a reality? Well, he gives us the earnest of the promise. As you enter into a contract, particularly when it comes to real estate, you have to put down earnest money. It's it's fun saying I am serious and I'm not going to back out. It's a promise that this will happen. You can be confident because I'm invested. God has invested in this promise. And so you can be confident that he will fulfill it. So what is this investment, this earnest that he has put down to ensure that this is true? Well, he tells us in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The earnest is the gospel. And he lays it out in this order of the gospel that we can take confidence in that God is working. And each of these statements provides incredible hope that God will continue. First, he says, those whom he foreknew. Some feel this means that God looked down through the annals of time and knew who would receive him. He knew that you would you would accept him. And so he chose you. So he saw you. But that's not what this word actually means. This word means that he knew you personally. He was relationally with you in eternity past. God knows you as the kids come in. You can see them coming in. Parents help them in. God knows you. He knew you before time began. And if that's the case, he'll not forget you. It says for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. This is a word that means to mark out or to elect to appoint for sanctification. God Not only knew you, he chose you personally to be in a relationship with him, not because of any good that you are. Romans one through three have demonstrated that clearly, but only because of his redeeming grace and his love for you. Now, if he did that, he says he he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. He will accomplish it. He's not going to forget you halfway through. He's marked you out and selected you for this purpose. What an incredible blessing. In Acts 13, 48, it tells us when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Second Thessalonians two thirteen tells us we also ought always to give thanks to God for your brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. We're going to see this even more clearly in chapters 9 through 11. But the reality is there is a glorious truth that God chose you for salvation. And it means that in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trial, God won't forget you. He will fulfill what he's promised. As many as he for new, he predestined, and those he predestined, he called. He enacted this work of salvation in your life. He drew you to salvation in him. He implanted in you the desire for him. John six forty four tells us, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And God did not draw you to himself, implant in you the faith to trust in him, only to forget you. Only to walk away from you. God loves you intimately and personally and relationally before the foundation of the world. So this light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in you. And those whom he called, he justified. He drew you and declared you righteous. We have seen this concept of justification over and over and over and over. And we see the same progression, Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. God has done this magnificent work in you to declare you righteous. He'll not forget you. And perhaps the most amazing aspect of this is he says, And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we have talked about this often, that in salvation, we see three aspects as Scripture talks about salvation. We see justification, that initial aspect whereby you are declared righteous. You are declared not guilty, even though you still sin. And this begins the second aspect of salvation, sanctification, whereby progressively you begin to do battle against sin and wage war and win and be conformed to the image of Christ. But you struggle with sin until the day you either die or Christ returns, in which case the third aspect happens of glorification in which you are redeemed forever. Not just from the penalty of sin, not just from the power of sin, but from sin's very presence. And that's a future thing. We're all still here struggling with sin. We haven't been glorified yet. But note what Paul says. He doesn't say, and those whom he justified, he will glorify. He says, those whom he justified, he also has glorified. As if it's already happened. And it is that reminder that God did not begin a good work in you to forget you. God did not bless you in order to get your hopes up only to let you down. God is using all things good, bad and indifferent to mix together into this glorious bowl of your life to bring forth that which is good, God's glory and your eternal sanctification. So you can rest in who God is. So as you face the intense struggles in your life, you must understand that God has an eternal plan for you. The trial you face, it's not all on your shoulders. God has a plan for you. You don't have to get out of that issue yourself. God planned this for your good. You don't have to simply survive it. You can thrive. You can find satisfaction and joy in the midst of that most intense struggle because God planned this for your good to advance the kingdom. And as we begin to look at trials from an eternal perspective, it changes your life. This struggle is to demonstrate God's goodness in and through you. And so like Paul, you can glory, take joy in your struggle. But you have to remind yourself of your enduring promise. So let me leave you with three things. Hopefully you take more than this, but three things to get your thoughts moving. Number one, keep an eternal perspective in trial. If all you see is this world and all you see is your life in the temporary, you are going to struggle because life doesn't work right. Sin has broken it. But when you look at it from an eternal perspective and you are able to step back and see the mural of God's goodness, you can rest in who he is. So keep an eternal perspective in trial. Number two, though, remember, this promise is not for everyone. So ensure that you are a child of God. This is only for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. So you must ensure that you are in that place. First, John is a great way to do this. Walk through the book of First John and look at those tests of life. And if you discover that you are not a child of God, I encourage you today to surrender yourself wholly and completely to him and reach out to him in faith. And then number three. Look for the way that God is working things for good. Don't just ask God to take it away, but ask God, what are you wanting me to learn in this? How are you showing yourself real in this? How are you going to make yourself look great in the midst of this intense struggle? Because it changes everything. May God grant us grace and wisdom as we try to do that in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve you. We have messed life up greatly. And yet, in your incredible grace and loving mercy, you reached down, you drew us to yourself so that we might walk with you. And you have given us this enduring promise that you will work all things together for good. So help us to trust you in it. Help us not to run from struggle but to embrace it for your glory. Thank you for the way that you are working in us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.